Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? You probably should insert some really hip, really cool music here because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. But what we do have is news you're not going to easily find anywhere else. I promise you. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas, and as a guy who worries a lot about our current media situation, as well as the state of our country, I decided I could no longer remain silent while our country forgets the sacrifices of our military, while our media fans the flames of fear, and while our country grows further and further apart. I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon. And I also know that we need to have a calm and solid media voice who doesn't work to divide and who doesn't use scare tactics or extreme, minute examples to work up their audience. This country already hears too many distortions, exaggerations, and falsehoods. And it's time for some steady, level-headed facts. So if you're tired of domestic news that just upsets you every time you hear it, maybe it's time we look at the bigger picture, which might just affect both our country and our military. And maybe it's time we do our small part to pull our country together. After all, a house divided cannot stand, and I believe that we can best reunite and reunify this country by showing more love and cooperation. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know that our democracy doesn't work without informed voters. And I also know we need to grow closer together and show more patience and kindness to each other. If we want to pass on a better future for our kids, then we need to heal our country. And I think we can do this. I really do. And I think each of us can be more patient, more kind, and more optimistic. These are the kind of hopeful, upbeat beliefs that will start to unite this country. And they're also the kind of acts that will get us to a brighter future. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. From the poorest ghetto to the richest suburb, from the low ground in Florida to the towering peaks out west, America is a wonderful country that we were all very fortunate to be born in. Our country is filled with amazing, hard-working people who would give you the shirts off their backs. And if you think about it, every single natural disaster has proven that our people of every race and income bracket, both the rich and the poor, our people will always rally and help one another in times of need. Don't believe the hyperventilating people you see on TV. Don't believe the predictions that our country's best days are behind us. This is not true. It's simply not true. We have seen darker days. We have overcome far worse. We need to be of good cheer, and we must stop living in fear and despair. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Oh, and if you want to, you can insert some more really hip, really cool music in your head. Because apparently, that's the only way you can have a successful podcast these days. This is the January 12th edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. In this episode, we'll be discussing several topics that I think will really interest you and that I can almost guarantee you haven't seen in the news this includes plenty about Ukraine and Russia. There's lots of big news to discuss there. And there's mostly good news with one little bit of 
perhaps a uh, step back. So we'll cover that. We'll also talk about some news regarding military recruiting in the U.S., which, as you know, had dropped dangerously low. Looks like there's a bit of a bounce back on that, perhaps. So it's been just a short, and I mean brief, amount on that. Then we'll move to China, where there's several big things that have happened. I'm going to try to keep that short as well, but uh, there's some news about a war game simulation and the results of that regarding what would happen if China invaded Taiwan. And there's also some news about what our military has decided to do with a bunch of Marines in Okinawa. And so we'll cover those for sure. And then I'll do a quick little update on Iran and the months-long uprising that has been happening there. And then, of course, the best part of every episode, at the end, we will cover plenty of motivation and wisdom. So thanks for joining us. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. But as you know, I like to say a word or two before we get to the news about me, about my life, about what's been going on. And there's two things I think I'm going to share today. Unless I change my mind, but I think I'm going to go with two. The first thing is, as everyone knows, I've been um, dealing with, you know, obviously a pretty heavy heart with my mom. But one of the things I had kind of promised myself or asked myself or I guess decided to strive for was that in the midst of, you know, emotional heaviness, in the midst of having a heavy heart, etc., etc., I wanted to find moments of beauty. I wanted to somehow find, um, I wanted to keep hope, but I also wanted to find, I guess the right word is um, acceptance and understanding, but more than anything, I wanted to, in a dark time, in a place where there's dark skies and lots of clouds, I wanted to find beauty. And since the last episode, um, I learned that a distant family member was traveling up to Knoxville from out of state, from the Texas area. He doesn't make it here a lot. And um, was going to plan a trip to where my uh, mother was, you know, brought up. And so when I heard this, it's just like a something went off in my head, like, you got to make this. So thankfully, my employer, my daytime employer, allowed me to take the day off. And we traveled and took lots of notes and heard lots of stories about the past, where they were raised, and uh, it was an amazing, amazing day. And so I'm super proud of myself that I am attempting to find and actually finding absolute beauty as I move through this with my dear family and beloved mom, obviously. And so I'm proud of myself for that. And so I want to encourage you, if you have your parents, that you reach out to them. If you haven't lately, check in with them. Take that day off. Go do something. Because I made some amazing memories, took some great photos, and I don't think I'll forget that day for a very, very long time. With luck, there will be more like that. But I have to also be um, somewhat, I don't want to say resigned, but I have to be realistic, I guess is the right word. Okay, so don't want to stick on that too much. But I think the other thing I wanted to talk about was 
I got a paid subscriber on Friday. And I know you're not supposed to ever spike the ball or act like you've never scored. And um, But the honest truth is, is I never fail to get excited when someone, you know, puts their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And with each supporter, you know, I feel a little closer to making the dream a reality as far as wanting to once again be a full-time author and podcaster again, which for the newer listeners, that last time I was a full-time author was back in 2013. But I know that if I was full-time, if I didn't have to work a day job, you know, I could do better podcasts, more frequency, could write more books, inspire more people, hopefully, who need to hear heartfelt encouragement. Um, you know, and I could focus on uniting the country and dealing with encountering the media forces and politicians that are trying their best to rip us apart. And um, so anyway, it's a lot to take in, but um, with each one, it feels like a little bit more impossible. So I get this subscriber on Friday, and I'm just like, man, that's awesome. Totally made my day. And so you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to act like this is no big deal. But I was honest on Twitter. I was like, man, this is awesome. Got his new subscriber, blah, blah, blah. And I guess someone must have seen the tweet, I assume. But, um, bam, like, got another one shortly thereafter. So I got two in one day, which, you know, is the first time that's ever happened for sure. And the craziest thing is, both of them elected or chose, whatever the right word is, to do the full $50, like, immediate versus $5 a month. Which, I support a Christian rock band that I've been a fan of for a long time. I send them $5 every month, but would I send 50 in one payment? I don't know, honestly. Like, you know, I have a kid. I have bills. But uh, anyway, totally blew me away that two people did that. Whoever you two are, thank you. You are amazing. And I know I'm not supposed to act like it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. And so thank you, whoever you two are. Um, And it happened on a day that really probably could have used it. So not the money necessarily. I'm not going to act like I desperately need the money. I just mean as far as the encouragement and the uh, motivation. Because a lot of times you can doubt whether what you're doing is, you know, of value or going to be successful, no matter how big one talks, right? All right, so I know I broke every branding rule in the book with both of those points probably. Um, One should never be too honest, one should never express doubt, um, but I kind of disagree with both of those. I think people crave authenticity and honesty. I know I do, and there's not enough of that in the world. Man, people, companies, things are so fake, and let's just be more real and honest. I think that'll uh, get us a little further in life. But with all that out of the way, let's actually get to the news, which I presume most of you come here for, although I do think a decent percentage do come for the end of the podcast. And I did have one person suggest that I should do a podcast that just puts up the motivation and wisdom section, but I can't figure out logistically exactly how to do that without re-emailing everyone twice, but I'll put some thought into that. I said we'd begin with... Ukraine and Russia, and we most certainly will. That's definitely where the biggest news is happening. And an interesting thing is that I think I have this new theory, which is that not only did 
the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, make a huge mistake by invading Ukraine. But I think he has compounded that mistake of late with a giant miscalculation when he decided to switch from mostly military tactics. Even before then, he was hitting civilian apartment buildings and cities with basically unguided weapons. But he made a giant miscalculation, in my opinion, when he switched to attacking energy infrastructure. And since he's done that, it has only accelerated Western resolve and support. As a reminder, we talked about several months ago how people expected flagging support from the West in the winter as gas prices went up in Europe, as Republicans probably would take over Congress, which of course they have, at least the House. And so the folks who keep up with this stuff, folks such as myself, and many, many other analysts were worried that uh, with winter, inflation's been high, there's going to be a political cost to some of the folks who have supported Ukraine and the U.S., so it just looks like things are going to start to diminish. That was the worry, that was the fear, and I think that probably would have been the case, and it could still, in theory, be the case a bit with the Republicans in the House, but I'm still not even convinced of that. And that is because these attacks on energy that Vladimir Putin has done with these drones, many of which he bought from Iran, which isn't exactly, you know, the kind of name that brings happy thoughts to most Americans, nor people in Europe. And it's just so black and white when you see kids with their parents with no power, with no heat, going into a winter. It's just so cruel and so wrong. And it has, in my opinion, re-energized the West. And so Vladimir Putin, who so many see as this brilliant tactician, and I, I always just, I almost like, I get angry. I'm not going to lie when people say that, because I don't see it. But Thanks to his, quote, brilliant decisions and the way he's waging this war, the Pentagon has announced $3 billion more in aid for Ukraine, which is the largest, I'm going to say that again, the largest round of a single announced deal of support for Ukraine. Just what is in this list what are we sending? How much are we sending? I'll go over just some of it. 18 of those 155 millimeter self-propelled howitzers with 18 ammunition support vehicles. That is huge. We're going to send 70,000 155 millimeter artillery rounds. 500 of those rounds will be precision guided. Those are the rounds that... They're not just like a metal or steel round that flies through the air pretty accurately out of a rifled uh, barrel. These actually have small wings, and they can be precision-guided. As one of my artillery buddies in the Marine Corps used to say, we can hit a trash can at 18 miles. So it's one of those rounds. So 500 of those. We're going to also be sending some towed howitzers of 105 millimeter. 36 of those, 36 
105 millimeter towed howitzers. 36, that's a lot. And with that, we're sending 95,000 artillery rounds. If I had to guess, I think we were getting a little low on the 155 millimeter, which again, we're sending 70,000 of that. And I don't know that we've sent as much 105 millimeter. Still nothing you want to be on the wrong end of, I assure you. But um, the fact we're sending 36 of those, I think we're probably doing that to reduce the um, amount of stress on our own ability to produce plenty of ammunition and reduce the limits on our stockpiles. We're also going to send 10,120 millimeter mortar rounds. Those are those are pretty big mortars. Um, as a reminder, most mortars are 60 millimeter, 81 millimeter. 120 is a pretty good size one. Also going to send additional ammunition for the uh, those multiple launch rocket system uh, high Mars. Um, going to be sending extra ammunition for those. We're also going to be sending some air defense stuff, which I'll mention in a second. But in conjunction with that announcement was the news that Ukraine is also going to get upgraded tanks from the Czech Republic. 90 of them. These are T-72s. They're going to be much better than most of what the Russians have right now. And so they're going to get 90 of those. 90. That's a lot of tanks. Um, just kind of summarize, summarize all this. We're talking 50 Bradley fighting vehicles. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you should. Those move fast. They have tow missiles, which have longer range, better thermal. Um, they can see in the dark. They can see snipers. We talked about that at length in the last episode. But to go with the 50 and the 90 T-72 tanks, Germany has promised 40 of what they call their martyr vehicles. They're basically very similar to the uh, Bradley fighting vehicles. So they're going to get 40 of those, 50 Bradleys, 90 T-72s, plus all of that artillery. And literally announced today, I'm recording this on Wednesday, Sweden has announced it's going to send 12 self-propelled guns to Ukraine. These are from a platform called the Archer. I've got a link to what those look like. It's basically like almost like a tractor-trailer truck. But you can see an image of it if you want to go to the source notes on the uh, Substack page, stanormitchell.substack.com. This thing has... The unique thing about the archers, 12 of them, is that unlike the artillery that we've mostly been sending, where you back a truck up, you unhook this big gun, you swing out its legs, you got to get everything planted and stabilized and centered and flat... Then you fire, and then you gotta maybe you fire two or three rounds. You don't usually fire a whole lot of rounds, and then you gotta quickly hook it up, get it back on a truck, and that usually takes somewhere between a minute to three minutes. These Swedish archers, which are just a truck, they stop, they fire, they can fire two or three rounds very quickly, like auto loading. It's all part of one vehicle, and they immediately drive much safer to operate so that any enemy counter-battery fire, if they even know where the shots came from, by the time their artillery gets sighted, uh, turned, you know, aimed in the right direction and fired, there's nothing there. So it's like you shoot and move, shoot and move, shoot and move, which is what you want to do in war, whether you're an infantryman or whether you're shooting a very large gun from a piece of artillery. 
as I was reading about these various amounts of tanks and infantry vehicles, one analyst said, if you added all of this together, and he went through the math of how many Bradleys were in a battalion and added the martyrs from Germany and all the others, he said, essentially, we are talking about a brigade of armor. Now, how much is a brigade? A brigade is three battalions, and usually two or three brigades make a division. But the analyst was talking about that if you combined all this, you know, obviously this is pretty much impossible, but if you were to combine all this, if all of them had trained together as far as the troops who would be in these vehicles, if they were all released at the same time, a brigade of armor supported by those infantry fighting vehicles and artillery support would probably punch a hole through any part of the Russian line with no problem and would probably be decisive enough to, you know, make great strides toward ending the war. So we're talking about a lot of armor and weapons, but we do have to be realistic as several people discussed because analysts get into the weeds. And the reality is there's going to be a lot of logistical issues. Um, these are going to arrive at different times. They're not all going to be part of one unit. They don't all use the same parts. They don't even all fire the same um, weapon systems. So it's not going to be easy to implement by the Ukrainians. And it will probably be fed in piecemeal to reinforce lines to make small advances. So it's not like they're going to train up this massive unit that really would probably punch a big hole through the Russian lines. But it's still, it's all great news for Ukraine. One part of it that has not really received much mainstream media attention, but I think we need to dig into for just a second, is as a part of it, since last week, and apparently it was with the help of some Polish engineers, but also certainly the brains and ingenuity of Ukrainians, they have figured out how to put Sea Sparrow mis missiles from the United States, mostly. Um, they were used by some other NATO countries, but Sea Sparrow missiles are from the 70s and 80s, and there's an improved version out called the... Uh, AIM-120, but these older missiles that are still very effective and they would do amazing against drones, it has been figured out how to put these instead of being on ships and launched usually vertically or from some type of a system that almost gets the, the missiles horizontal. They have figured out how to put these on basically a Soviet-made weapons system which is called the BUK. It's basically a tank that holds four missiles for anti-air. And the Ukrainian military has figured out how to tweak these Soviet-made BUK tanks to fire Sea Sparrow missiles. So why is this important? Well, it's huge for Ukraine. They've wanted Patriot missile batteries. We've talked about that. They're going to get one from the U.S. They're going to get one more. I think Germany's the one sending it from Europe. But that's only two batteries it's hard to move those around. You certainly can't move them quickly. Whereas on these Soviet-made tanks, you could move them quickly. And 
by the way. NATO has lots of Sea Sparrow missiles that are sitting in storage. And I mean lots. And so suddenly, we had talked in previous weeks about how the number of drones might overpower the limited amount of air defense. And also, oh, by the way, the air defense, it was too expensive to shoot down these drones with multi-million million you know, multi-million dollar systems shooting down inexpensive drones. At some point, that ain't going to work. Well, freeing up these sea sparrows and being able to put them on these tanks could completely change that calculation. Because the sea sparrows are, you know, in a major war would be used, but they're, they're, you know, they're 40 years old. 30 to 40 years, depending on which model. And so they're sitting in storage. They're not being used. They probably wouldn't be used. And now they're going to be used. And so that was a big break for Ukraine. I've got, if you want to see what those launchers look like, I've got that in the source notes as well. It's definitely worth going to look at both the tank and also there's some pictures there of the missile and how large it is. But it will, it will definitely do the job against those drones so that should buy Ukraine some um, additional protection from the attacks on their energy infrastructure for sure let's move away from the aid package to another bit of news from Ukraine CNN is reporting that Russian artillery fire according to US officials is down nearly 75% So the amount of artillery fire that the Russians can fire at the Ukrainians is down almost 75%. And that, of course, points to some increasing logistical issues for Russia, who never planned to be in a war this big, who is using really older stocks of ammunition. And also, let's face it, they have been firing thousands. You know, we're talking 5,000 plus rounds a day they've been firing, so... Looks like those logistical realities are starting to catch up. They obviously had reached out to North Korea for some ammunition resupply. They wanted China to help. China isn't willing to help, at least so far. So that's some great news for Ukraine that they're starting to run out of ammo, they being the Russians, obviously. But it's not all great news. January 10th, which is yesterday, Tuesday, President Zelensky talked about that things were very difficult on the Eastern Front in in the Donbass region. We've talked about how the Russians have been trying to take Bagmut, but it looks like they may have taken or are about to take uh, a place called Solidaire. Um, It's very difficult there. A Ukrainian soldier said that we're hanging in there, but there's practically no commanders that are left there. You can see a video of a extraction from there where an armored personnel carrier is driving through um, artillery fire, and you can see the entire town has basically been leveled by Russian artillery. But the Russians are trying to encircle the town. They've lost a ton of casualties doing it, but they could potentially take the town. So that will be a setback for Ukraine if that happens. It's not a huge town. Many think that Ukraine will quickly retake it because Russian. there have been so many casualties by the Russians, but they are just desperate to get some kind of 
good news or momentum coming out of Ukraine. And so they've, they're trying their best to take this town, which is near Bogmut, but they have lost a lot of people doing it. And they've definitely nearly leveled it. I'm not even sure really what they're taking if they take it, but they have exerted a lot of effort to do it. I will say that The Economist said that the Russians are close to taking it. They have actually claimed to have taken the town, and mostly it's the Wagner Group, which is, of course, that private military contractor company that has been doing a lot of the fighting for Russia that has also been recruiting convicts from Russian prisons. But The Economist reported that even though Ukraine says that there is fighting continuing, um, Britain's ministry of defense says that the fall of Solidaire is imminent. So that's the bad news. Of course, it's a war. There are ups and downs, highs and lows, and I'm always just going to shoot it as straight as I can as far as telling you what's happening there. And so lots of great news for Ukraine this week. Also, there's that small offensive that the Russians are attempting. Let's move from Ukraine and Russia to our own recruiting and military. The military.com reported that the Air Force has bounced back from the recruiting situation that it was having at the Air Force Academy, and that actually this year more than 10,000 students applied to be a part of the class of 2027 which is the deadline of December 31, and that that was actually a 21% increase from the 8,300 that had applied to join the previous class of 2026. So they, they went from 8,300 to 10,000, 21% increase. Why does that matter? That matters because we've talked about the issues that the military has been having with recruiting, and they're having to provide larger bonuses. But more than that, they've been struggling to hit the numbers that they needed and so it cost more to recruit and there were also some concerns that maybe they wouldn't be able to hit the numbers they need and then you start to wonder what do you do if you can't get enough people to join an all-volunteer force part of the issue was the military has been really politicized of late with lots of things I won't get into the politics too much but one thing the military did do is the COVID uh vaccine requirements were controversial. A lot of folks on the right were saying, you know, you shouldn't send your son or daughter there because of it. And so some of that got politicized. Um, some folks in the military didn't want to take the vaccine. And so some of them were removed, punished, etc. I'm not going to share my view on the vaccine or the mandate in the military or any of that because there's no point in trying to bring politics, which is everywhere, into this. But I will say, I don't like it when either side, the left or the right, discusses or diminishes the military in any way. I didn't like it when folks on the left said, you shouldn't join the military and go die in Iraq for George Bush, or when you know similar comments were made during the Vietnam War. I also didn't like it when folks on the right said that shouldn't go in because you might have to take a vaccine that's a COVID vaccine or that you shouldn't 
go in and be a part of the world's policeman, so to speak, force and die in some foreign land for nothing. And so both sides have played this game. And I don't like when either side does because uh, I've been one of those young idealistic people who wanted to serve my country and we don't need to affect impressionable minds of young people by diminishing what is an honorable thing for people to do. It's an important thing for people to do. It's a way to um, get people out of situations they may not want to be in, to see the world, to grow as citizens and adults. Serving in the military is an amazing thing. And so when people attack it from either side, I get defensive and I don't really appreciate it. But I'm glad to see that the Air Force numbers are up. I hope both sides will continue to do their best not to politicize the military. We need to get those recruiting numbers up. And that's what we need as a strong republic. And I don't think I need to say a lot on that, but did want to share, since I had shared in a previous episode, maybe more than one, that recruiting was down and it was getting a little scary. Um, The Army had missed some goals, and I believe the Navy had too, if I remember right. But hoping this is the start of some non-politicization of the military and perhaps the start of a rebound on recruiting. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, Please sign up for email notifications. It's free unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. But you can sign up for free at my website, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. From there, you can subscribe to the show by email, and that'll make sure you never miss any future episodes. Again, that's free. I will also say that people are, are always asking me on social media, how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books in some series that they love sooner than what I'm currently doing. Believe me, the best way to support me or this show is by signing up for a paid subscription at my Substack page. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can sign up to support at Patreon. Again, that's Patreon. Or you can also find me on Venmo at author Stan R. Mitchell. Again, that's author Stan R. Mitchell. And I have links to both of those in the source notes or on my Substack page, which again is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Either of those options, if you're wanting to pay, are $5 per month, and you can cancel those at any time. The paid subscriptions provide a recurring monthly revenue, and that $5 a month is the fastest way that I'll be able to return to becoming a full-time author again, which means I'll have more time to write fiction, it'll have... I'll have more time to cover the news, even more in-depth, and I'll be able to work even harder to try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things that I feel drawn to do, like strongly drawn to do. So, of course, you can also tell people about the podcast, and there's even the option to give a gift subscription to a friend. You guys can also clearly tell people about my books, which many of you are already doing, and I appreciate each and every one of you doing that. But I do want to be very clear here. You don't have to do any of these things. I truly feel called to do this, and I've already had tremendous support from people who've signed up to chip in a few bucks each month. You guys know who you are. I really do appreciate you. So trust me, you can sign up, come and go as you like. If you want to subscribe for a couple of three months, that's great. You can do that. 
As long as I'm making enough to cover the time I put into doing this show, then I'm not going anywhere. I love highlighting the sacrifices of our military. I love trying to unify the country. I love throwing cold water on these over-the-top exaggerations by extremist politicians and broadcasters. And honestly, I love knowing that I'm helping motivate and reach out to people who just need a little extra encouragement each week. So thanks so much for your support. And with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Let's move to China-Taiwan news. And there hasn't been a whole lot that has made mainstream media the past week. Um, More and more media sources are starting to talk about the COVID situation, which, because you guys are awesome listeners here, you've known about for about three or four weeks now. Those numbers are starting to rise. The deaths are starting to rise and China's doing its best to hide it, but there's now satellite images of large numbers of people showing up at um, cemeteries, mortuaries, etc. There are photos leaking out of hospitals that are beyond capacity, people s- sitting, standing, laying in hallways. So it's pretty pretty bad, as we said it would be. And that's made the news some, but if you follow some defense stuff, you may have heard that there was a a bit of a study that was released a uh, a group that's a non-profit research excuse me research organization called the Center for Strategic and International Studies they're bipartisan um and they're dedicated to advancing practical ideas to address the world's greatest challenges but they did this massive war game And they talk about how they set this up. But they ran this war game 24 times and then released this massive report about it. And the war game is obviously if China tries to invade Taiwan. Uh, The entire report's 166 pages, but a lot of um, major news organizations did pick up the story. And I wanted to give you just the short of it. So again, they run this war game, so to speak, is real, I guess a, a, a simulated attack and invasion. They ran it 24 different times, changing a few factors, playing it as honestly and as best as they could with some of the best experts and computer models that there, there are. And so here's what they discovered. I will begin by just sharing kind of the top line summary from their executive summary, which itself is two or three pages. Here's what they say. What would happen if China attempted an amphibious invasion of Taiwan? CSIS, which I believe goes by CSIS, developed a war game for a Chinese amphibious invasion of Taiwan and ran it 24 times. In most scenarios, the United States slash Taiwan slash Japan defeated a conventional amphibious invasion by China and maintained an autonomous Taiwan. However, this defense came at high cost. The United States and its allies lost dozens of ships, hundreds of aircraft, and tens of thousands of service members. Taiwan saw its economy devastated. Further, the high losses damaged the U.S. global position for many years. China also lost heavily, and failure to occupy Taiwan might destabilize Chinese Communist Party rule. Victory is therefore not enough. The United States needs to strengthen deterrence immediately. So that's their 
bottom line view is that if this potential invasion that increasingly looks like it's going to potentially happen at some point, since we can see that this is going to possibly happen, then we need to do something about it and begin improving deterrence immediately. Now, that's the top line. We all know deterrence needs to happen, and the United States is already working on, at it. But because I know you guys are just like me, and you're just dying to know what the best brains and minds and simulations can foresee in this potential war, wouldn't it be cool to know how it might go down? How it actually might go down is probably the understatement. How it likely would go down. Yes. Yes, it would be cool. So, let's share just a little bit from their 160-page-plus report. I'll read just a little bit. The invasion always starts the same way. An opening bombardment destroys most of Taiwan's Navy and Air Force in the first hours of hostilities. Augmented by a powerful rocket force, the Chinese Navy encircles Taiwan and interdicts any attempts to get ships and aircraft to the besieged island. Now, long-term listeners know, this is me speaking again, not reading, we've talked a lot about how China's going to encircle and basically create an embargo. We've talked about they would obviously launch just untold numbers of rockets and missiles. And so, so far, I think, at least for those who've been listening for a bit, reading for a bit, no big surprises. So, opening bombardment destroys most of Taiwan's Navy and Air Force. Huge uh, fleet around the island trying to stop any type of reinforcements or anything. So, let's continue. Reading from the report again. Tens of thousands of Chinese soldiers cross the strait in a mix of military amphibious craft and civilian roll-on, roll-off ships, while air assault and airborne troops land behind the beachheads. However, in the most likely, quote, base scenario, end quote, the Chinese invasion quickly founders, despite massive Chinese bombardment, Taiwanese ground forces streamed to the beachhead, where the invaders struggled to build up supplies and move inland. Meanwhile, U.S. submarines, bombers, and fighter-slash-attack aircraft, often reinforced by Japan's self-defense forces, rapidly cripple the Chinese amphibious fleet. China strikes on Japanese bases and U.S. surface ships cannot change the result. Taiwan remains autonomous. Then it goes in, of course, that there's one major assumption, which is that Taiwan has to resist and that Taiwan doesn't surrender before the U.S. can get there. Um, They mention one other thing, which is that I'll just read this. This defense comes at at a high cost. The United States and Japan loses dozens of ships, hundreds of aircraft, and thousands of service members. Such losses would damage the U.S. global position for many years. While Taiwan's military is unbroken, it is severely degraded and left to defend a damaged economy on an island without electricity and basic services. China also suffers heavily. Its navy is in shambles, the core of its amphibious forces is broken, and tens of thousands of soldiers are prisoners or tens of thousands of soldiers are prisoners of war. So rough on Taiwan, rough on China, 
not even easy on the U.S. So this is one of those things where, you know, my dad used to always say, an ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure. And I know that's a pretty famous saying. This is one of those things why I'm glad the U.S. is quickly working hard to build up a strong deterrence in the area because a war would just be catastrophic. And we haven't even talked about the economic realities of if China were to go to war and the world were to begin leveling like sanctions against China. And I can't even imagine just the economic effects of that alone. One other thing that I did look up in the report is they based their simulations on an invasion in 2026. So a lot can happen in, you know, three years. Uh, And as you all know, we've talked a lot based on many of the briefings to Congress from folks at the Pentagon that 2027 is kind of the potential predicted year. Um, So they're going one year below that to 2026 and trying to gameplay this. So there you go. That's what would happen of as of right now, it's believed that Taiwan can defend itself. And we mentioned, I think it was last week, I always say the podcast run together, so I apologize on that, but I'm always stacking notes to future ones when I can try to get stuff in. But I believe it was last week we talked about that Taiwan is changing the draft age. And so Taiwan has a good two, three, four years to help convince China not to do this. And there are a lot of other countries in the in the region for sure, and honestly in the world, that don't want to see this happen. So I think there will be more and more positioning and alliances and items to help prevent this from happening. Speaking of which, that is the perfect transition to talk about just one of those things. The... Washington Post reported that the U.S. and Japan are, quote, set to announce a shakeup of Marine Corps units to deter China. So I wanted to briefly mention that, especially because, A, I was in the Marine Corps, and B, I've been to Okinawa. As many of you know, the U.S. keeps mostly Marines on Okinawa with a large contingent of folks from the Navy. There may be some army units there. I don't think there are many. I need to research that. But mostly it's Marines. And it was announced that this past week, actually, the two allies announced the repurposing of a Marine Corps regiment that by 2025 they would be able to rapidly disperse to fight in austere remote islands. And the Marine Corps plans to equip the regiment with advanced capabilities such as anti-ship missiles that can be fired at Chinese ships in the event of a Taiwan conflict. And one thing that was said by an administration official is that, quote, Japan is substantially improving its capacity, but also providing more capacity for the United States. This reflects a Japan that is much less ambivalent a Japan that is prepared to play a more substantial role in its own defense. And then the Washington Post story goes on to say that in the past, the administration official said Japan would have resorted to, quote, a kind of checkbook diplomacy and basically asked the United States to take care of security in the region. What they're doing now is something quite different and quite substantial, which is essentially to say, count us in, and that's a big deal. So... 
pretty big uh, news coming from there. In regards to that news, I did a little bit more research on it. And one reporter from the Washington Post said that the Pentagon additionally wants to move and rotate some Marines to some of the more remote south islands southwest of Okinawa, not the main island, where they will train and perhaps position equipment there to develop the ability to rapidly deploy should China attack Taiwan. Now, this was said by a reporter who goes by the name of Andrew de Grandpre. I hope I said that right. I'm not real sure exactly how to say it, but he's the deputy national security editor at the Washington Post, and he added a little bit on it. So looks like they could put Marines on some of these smaller islands. And Andrew said that some of the southwestern islands are roughly the same distance, about 100 miles from Taiwan, or roughly the same distance that separates Taiwan from China. So this is going to move Marines closer to a place to support Taiwan and also oppose and defend any moves that Japan may be making. All right, so let's move away from China and Taiwan to one other bit of news before we get to the motivation and wisdom section. And this comes from Iran. We haven't updated. I don't think I updated Iran news last week. Again, as I always say, it's very hard to get any news from Iran. And since... In basically the last two weeks, there's been no major news from Iran. The Economist did report that Iran had hung two men who were accused of killing a member of their volunteer militia. That's a part of their Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. So they have apparently, according to The Economist, executed four demonstrators to date. And, of course, all of these protests were sparked by the killing of Masa Amini, the Kurdish woman, we've talked about that a lot. There's been, according to The Economist, 41 others who have been sentenced to death. But to me, the fact that the uprising, I guess is the right word, I guess it's debatable on what word is the correct word to use, but the fact that it's continuing, to me, says that I still think this could possibly go somewhere, but... You know, it's impossible to predict. It's just crazy that a country that is that oppressive hasn't completely put it down yet. I know that there have been some efforts to get some additional satellite and internet communications into Iran so that the people can communicate better. So we'll see if their ability to coordinate and talk more will help them. I did see that Iran has sent some... Uh, a ship or two down to the uh, down to Panama just to make some news. I'll research that some more to see if it's some kind of a big deal or not, but I think that was more of a let's try to build up some kind of nationalistic fervor and make all Iranians proud to be Iranians again. But I'm not convinced that's going to do anything. That'll be a drop in the bucket at best. So I don't think that's a big news, but no major news from Iran other than that the uprisings and the unhappiness of the people continues. So I'll keep you posted as we hear more from that. Okay, guys, so we will move to the motivation and wisdom part. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and 
I frankly completely disagree, and one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or or to where they probably wanted to get in life, because it's hard to be around people that don't believe that suck the energy out of you or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having heroes that I looked up to, whether it was sports figures or past presidents or past military leaders, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. This week, I feel like we have some really good ones to share. And uh, as I say every week, you can find all of these folks in the source notes. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm just kind of in a deeper place where... um, you know, I'm I'm dealing with a situation with my mom, or if I'm just suddenly 45 and things seem deeper, but there's some good ones today, and um, so I hope these really, you know, have the same impact on you that, that they did for me. All right, but the first one, we'll start with a little motivation. Don't complain, just rebuild your life. Again, it's don't complain, just rebuild your life. Give up on your fears, not your dreams. I love that one. Give up on your fears, not your dreams. Next one. Time heals everything. Time corrects everything. Time is the solution to most problems. A lot of things can happen with time. All that has to be there is the intention thought that one was pretty good. Next one. When you are young, you strive for the biggest things in life. When you're older, it becomes the little things. Funny how that changes. I actually came across that one in just a tweet uh, comment section. And it's from... um, Someone that goes by the rabbit or at Raj underscore rabbit. But that one was pretty deep. Let's go to the next one. It astonishes me to see that the average man today lives a better life than most medieval kings. 
yet he still finds things to complain about. Do yourself a favor. Practice gratitude. Is that one great or what? And the thing that's kind of crazy is that it's mostly true. We really do live better than most uh, medieval kings. I think I mispronounced it the first time, and I'm still not great at saying that word, so I think you know what I said, though. So, again, it was it astonishes me to see that the average man today lives a better life than most medieval kings, yet he still finds things to complain about. Do yourself a favor. Practice gratitude. And actually, I'm sure you all know this, but if you've ever uh, done a tour of, like, a castle or something, man, talk about a dark, kind of dank, often cold place. But they had walls, and they kept people alive, I guess. All right, next one. Trust your intuition. It never lies. Again, trust your intuition. It never lies. And we got another one. Trust the timing of your life. Is that one good or what? That one's one I always have to... It always hit... Quotes like that always hit me. Because I am... I have, in my entire life, been in a rush. I couldn't wait to be... Couldn't wait to get to high school. I couldn't wait to turn 16... Wanted to join the delayed entry program beginning of my senior year. Maybe it's the end of junior. I can't even remember. I started school a little early, so the entire senior year, I knew where I was going. I couldn't wait to go to the Marine Corps. Went there at 17. Eventually got, after I was a little burned out, I couldn't wait to get out. Couldn't wait to go to college. You name it. Couldn't wait to start my company. And then with my books and this, I'm always just, I got to watch myself because I live in the future sometimes. And you have to trust the timing of your life. Here's the next one. The calmer you are, the clearer you think. That was a great one. This one is a quote from uh, Leo Tolstoy, who's obviously the famous Russian author. When you love someone, you love the person as they are, and not as you'd like them to be. That one hits home for everybody, doesn't it? When you love someone, you love the person as they are, and not as you'd like them to be. I'm often reminded that a lot of times with our spouses, there might be this or that small thing that kind of drives you crazy, but it's like if you you need them to be different than you. If they were exactly like you, you wouldn't need them. So, again, the quote was, when you love someone, you love the person as they are, and not as you'd like them to be. Here's a good one. Your mind is a powerful thing. When you fill it with positive thoughts, your life will start to change. It's a pretty good one. Next one. Fighting for your dreams is never easy, but it's always worth it. That's a great one. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can. I love that one, and I've used variations of that one. People have changed it and quoted it in various ways, um, but... I love that one because it's kind of a no-excuse mentality. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Sometimes I'll feel like, oh, I should know more about this subject, or, you know, why is anyone going to listen to this podcast, or this or that. But the reality is, is we all have tools, and we have to have some confidence in our own abilities sometimes. you got to not listen to that little devil on your shoulder, right? Listen to the good angel. Next one. You become unstoppable with a vision, plan, and discipline. That's a great one. You become unstoppable with a vision, plan, and discipline. This one's kind of similar. The days that you don't want to are the days you must suck it up and do it. It's a great one on the lines of discipline. 
If you don't take a chance, you don't stand a chance. Another good one. If you don't take a chance, you don't stand a chance. Next one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And that's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. And if that feels a little familiar, I think I used it in the last podcast because I'd come across it, but I had already recorded the motivation section. But I think it was the part where Taiwan was offering to help China. And then I ended up say saying that one because I actually saved that in my own quote file. It's a good one. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be better than you were yesterday. Another good one. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be better than you were yesterday. And then um, this one's another good one. There is nothing like a dream to create the future. It's a good one. You gotta have dreams, and then you gotta try to create a plan. You gotta try to actually make something happen. And on the one before, I'll say one more thing. Um, on the you don't have to be perfect, you just have to be better than you were yesterday. It's funny. I feel like every podcast is a little better than the last one. I've learned some things on how to edit it better. I've learned just various little tips and tricks. And every week, I feel like they're just a tad better than they were. But when I go back and listen to one from like three months ago or six months ago, oh my word, (laughs) I want to run from the room. They sound terrible. I sound terrible. I sound scared, anxious, all that. And I still probably partly sound that way now, but it was much worse then. So just a reminder that you don't have to be perfect. You should be a little better than you were yesterday. And it's the old quote about doing something for 10,000 hours and then you're an expert. That's what we're all going for is you want to become, if you want to become good at something or eventually great, you just got to keep doing it. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a 100 years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. 
And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but Folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. A couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road. And it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what... um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Acuff, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really, the book is, it's it's pretty deep, and so it, the, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and i think you know and i've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then i've also got a realistic war novel about afghanistan it's called hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and 
they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some marines had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there which is about the highest honor i could possibly get um and then finally i've got one other book i wanted to mention just real quickly and then the final book i mentioned is actually it's a part biography part self-help all inspiration type book uh about barack obama but includes absolutely no politics no left-right issues it's literally just a non-political look at obama's rise and i try to answer questions that many wonder about american presidents what sets them apart what qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed how can you cultivate those qualities in yourself and Besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some. And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you. Kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking. How he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so... It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help type stuff, and so you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents and. I could go for on for probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell, and you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed, and that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell. So way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of, I don't know, pretentious. But yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.